Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Unbroken continuity, that's the thing that Jack and Earl are watching out for. But just for a few, let's listen in as they discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 2's Episode 11, Perpetual Infinity. Welcome again, everyone, to the show. <laughs> it's so good to have you back. We've missed you so. I don't know how we've survived without you. Um, this is, let's see if we can do this in tandem. It's going to work right this time. So this yeah. is Jack Arino and your buddy, Earl Gray. See barely a flaw here to discuss once again Star Trek Discovery with you. Today we're doing uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 11 which is called Perpetual Infinity. This is the one where Burnham receives the reunion she's been looking for with her mom, but uh, it's not quite the thing that she wanted it to be. And uh, it's also where we realize uh, what's happened with Leland after he got that little eye poke. I tell you what, the whole eye poke thing, it's pretty horrifying. Okay. Like pretty much the worst thing you can do is threaten to like stick something in my eyeball. <laughs> and when they do that, when they did that close up last episode, with a little needle yeah. goes into his eyeball. That was the most cringe-worthy episode I've well, experienced. They did it fast in this, but when they did it in in uh, Best of Both Worlds to Picard, um, that was slow motion, and you could see the um, everything happening. Yeah, I mean, this was just like, bam, you know, and they did it, but. Uh, and they let you imply that it happened. Yeah, like when you see a meniscus bending back from like its normal curve, that's pretty much horrifying. <laughs> you mean the lens? Yeah, isn't like the outside of the eyeball called a meniscus, like the out outer skin of like water when it's in a glass? I was going to say the meniscus actually curves the other way than a, an eyeball does. Well, so a meniscus can curve the up way too. It can it can be con, con, convex as well. Because if you like slightly, like if you're about to slightly overfill the glass and it's about to pour over, like just before oh, it pours, pours right. over, it'll have a convex curve and that's still a meniscus, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a meniscus. I think, I think it can bend either way. Okay. This episode, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and push play because that, that, as opposed to most other- uh, Oh, you haven't recorded, pushed play yet? No, no, no. You've already pushed play? Yeah. I, I usually don't have a play to push. Usually I just, you know, watch as we're, uh, as, uh, I usually don't watch. I usually just, you know, read, read stuff. Um, oh, I do okay. like the idea of starting uh, somewhere else besides Discovery or some other place that we've known. Yeah. Starting off uh, Doctori Alpha and seeing the whole thing that's going on with, uh, with the Burnham family. Yeah. It is surprising to me that Michael Burnham does not know that her parents were in Section 31, considering that, like, they're off by themselves, <laughs> you know, like, doing the science stuff. And, like, did she never discover? Either that or she could have blocked it out. I guess that's the case. So the, I, have, I have two problems with this scene. Um, one problem with this, well, not problems. I have two points to make about this scene. Okay. One is that the actress who's playing uh, young Michael Burnham keeps getting older mm -hmm. and we keep seeing her at younger points in her life yeah you're right this is bef just before 
uh, Sarah could adopts her. And sure. yeah, you're right. This act, this actress does look older. Yeah, she's way older. Is it even the same actress? Yeah, it is the same actress. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's why she's getting older. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, I maybe we should have filmed these scenes. Maybe we should have planned ahead and filmed these scenes out of order and just had them ready to go. I don't know. Oh, filmed them in in like date order. Yeah, like film film this. They could have filmed Online this order? a long time ago and just yeah. had it on for when they needed it. Another interesting point about this scene is that the man who plays her father is uh, Kenrick Green, who okay. is the reason that Sonico Martin's Green's last name is Sonico Martin Green instead of Sonico Martin. Okay. So she has her husband playing her character's father, which is to me okay. highly amusing for me. Okay, cool. So I have a point about this up the opening of this episode. Sure. The ship that's landing here, is that a Romulan ship? You were talking about you're talking about the one with the curved wings. Yes. Yeah. So that if I'm not mistaken, which I could be, that's one of those it's one of those turkey ships. That's one of those what? Turkey ships. Like, you know, there was a um there were some turkey ships that were <laughs> I don't remember where they were, but it was like some, it was Klingon ships. Um, I feel like somebody at some point hijacked a Klingon ship and was flying in it, and it was a turkey ship. I, I don't remember. You mean like a bird of prey? Well, so it's not a bird of prey, though. It's a. Okay. It's a. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, see if I can look it up really quickly, but um, I think it's one of those like, uh, shuttle, it's like a Klingon shuttle. And their shuttles, for some reason, looked like turkeys at the time. Uh, okay. Um, I'm well, I thought the greenish hues made it look more Romulan, and they have some uh, curvy ships like that. Well, I think at this time we don't know uh, what the um, we don't know about the we don't know about the Romulans. I think quite yet. Yeah, we do. Do we? We've already had the Romulan War. Oh, sure, because that that happened before the beginning of the Federation, but we didn't see them. Yeah. I think it was, we didn't see them for a while, so this would be during the time we didn't see them, I think. Well, there were Romulans and TOS. Well, okay, so this is before TOS, so... Yeah, and I think we hadn't seen them for a minute. And then we didn't see them for a while between the, next, uh, between, uh, the movies and Next Generation, supposedly, although then yeah. we ended up seeing them in a movie. But well, that movie essentially starts like way after the next generation and then falls into another universe. Yeah, and in, in the uh, Romulan Earth War, they were only doing ship-to-ship -ship fighting. They never had any visual communication, so they didn't, they did, still didn't know that they were uh, Vulcanoids. And that's why when in TOS, they first see a Romulan face-to-face and they say, hey, he looks exactly look like Spock. Uh, that's why they think that, you know, the, that Spock could be a traitor or a spy. Now, did they make a note of, uh, like they, so they made a note on screen of the Romulans appearing to look like Vulcans, is what you're saying? Uh, yes, they made a note on screen. They, they pointed it out. Um, and, and they, they kind of had to because they definitely did look, they didn't have the forehead little bit of makeup there yet. So, uh, they still had smooth foreheads and the Vulcan ears. 
uh, I, I when when uh, uh, Mark Leonard played the first Romulan commander, uh, I, I think he looked exactly like Sarek, which was odd because I think later he uh, Sarek didn't appear until ep- episodes later, after this, you know, within our timeline. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I got a little caught up in a little side uh, thing I was looking at, and it's the <laughs> it's a snippet of the service record for uh, Captain William T. Riker. Um, well, do tell. Is, Read it to us. So there are there's some some notes in here. Okay. Uh, and the notes are by Stardate, and the Stardates are having me a little bit in, in slight palpitation because uh, I don't know if they can be correct. Um. Notably, there are notes in the service record. Uh, there are mm, five notes, okay? Um, well, the first note is in Stardate 46048, which would have been during the run of The Next Generation, that being a combination by Captain John Picard for acceptable, exceptional service during the Alpha Onias expedition. Um, I'm okay. not sure that I know what the Alpha Onias expedition is, but there is a little thing in front of me um, that allows me to look up things very quickly. Okay. Uh, it's called a laptop, and it is <laughs> called the internet. Um, so Alpha Alpha Onias is in the Beta Quadrant, and it's near the Romulan neutral zone. Um, okay. The Alpha Onias expedition was an expedition to the planet Alpha Onias three by the universe, by the Enterprise D, in a simulation created by Barash in twenty three sixty seven. So. If it was in a simulation, why? So this, I'm assuming we were talking about future imperfect, right? So I'm, so if we're talking about future imperfect, why is this in a service record? It shouldn't exist, right? Um, That's point one. Point two is uh, start date 46179, which is when uh, Riker is awarded Grand Kite Order of Tactics by Starfleet Command for his role in the Zavolta Planetary Geosciences Survey Expedition. Don't know what that is, but being as it's four six, that would also be during the run of Star Trek: The Next Generation. And then start at four seven two zero three is when it lists that he is granted promotion to the rank of captain, assigned command of the starship USS Titan. I don't think that's accurate. Okay. It's my firm belief that it is sometime after start at four eight xxx that Riker would have been promoted to captain because it didn't happen during the run of the next generation and well let me look it, it happened first. in nemesis so so what were the star dates of nemesis oh that's a good point um nemesis oh, star dates oops uh so this would have been around this is not correct this is not correct so this in Wikipedia says that Nemesis was set around starting five six eight four four point nine. That makes sense because they started running out of star dates. So by the end of Voyager, they started using star dates that started with a five instead of a four. But five six. So so these are still these are we're still we uh, star dates in the next generation and Voyager and New Place Nine all start from four one zero 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 right and. Um, because it's four for the 24th century and one for the season of next generation. Um, so we just, 
in, in, increase those uh, incrementally by year. So it goes, um, the four ones are season one of the next generation, the four two is season two of the next generation. Um, by se- so season season seven of the next generation is four seven, blah, 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 mark blah, right? Um, yeah. So I forgot where I was going with that entirely. Uh, so we so you just continue counting. So uh, what was it? Uh, something was running concurrently with T, with TNG, and that was Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So Deep Space Nine starts four six three eight eight Mark Two. Okay. So that means that uh, Deep Space Nine started during the sixth season of Star Trek: The Next Generation. So yes. at season seven of Deep Space Nine, that should be start date uh, five two, five two something something something, Mark something. So okay. that would put Nemesis happening far after the end of Deep Space Nine. But then at the op- opening of Nemesis, weren't wasn't that when they did that strange little ball thing with the brand new aliens and they had just acquired warp technology and somebody makes a comment about needing to make members members as fast as possible because of the Dominion War? That may be true. The only thing I remember at the beginning of Nemesis was the scene in the Senate where Donatra kills everybody. It's been a while since I've seen Nemesis. Yeah, you and me and, both. But that also could be the beginning of uh, Insurrection, too, because it's been a while since I've seen uh, Insurrection, too. Yeah, it may be the beginning of in- in- Insurrection that you're talking about. Uh, okay. Because uh, somebody pointed out on YouTube a little while ago is that basically the plots to Insurrection and Nemesis are the same. Except they change around to make it a little bit more exciting so that they could hope to, almost like they wanted to hope to prove that Nemesis or that Insurrection could have been good if it had fallen under the even number movies. So I like Insurrection. I think it is my favorite Generations notwithstanding, I think it's my favorite Next Generation movie. Okay, how dare you? I That's what people <laughs> tell me all the time, and I don't understand why they don't like it. Like, I really, really like well, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it's bad, but how do you put it better than First Contact? Um, First Contact has its problems. First Contact has a lot of issues. Um, I don't need a movie with the Borg in it, because okay. at the moment they did First Contact, the Borg were immediately overdone. Like, we've overdone them by the once much during a movie then we've overdone it um especially since that was during the time that like we're messing around with uh with voyager and the borg and stuff like we've just done too much yeah board. my probably my favorite two movies are insurrect well I, i'm gonna go yeah favorite two movies are insurrection oh, i'm gonna go three movies uh generations is one of them just because the handoff it's when we switch to the new uniforms like i just like a lot of that stuff um yeah. I, I like having both crews uh that being the original series crew and the next generation crew all together in one movie that's pretty dope and uh or at least the idea of them like they do all appear because they're in that mm. photo that we're looking at um another thing is that in uh, uh, uh star trek 6 is great because it's yet another handoff movie because we are handing off uh the character of Worf from michael dorn to michael dorn uh and <laughs> I, I like the i like the court the court stuff for some reason i am a big law and order special victims unit fan uh so the courtroom scenes are pretty compelling to me i enjoy that a lot and then insurrection i like the concept of slowing down and taking the time to appreciate 
life. You know, yeah. like that's that's a huge, that's a big, that's like one of my favorite Star Trek messages that I've received so far. Um, and I can't knock that movie. And I like the 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 fun and quirky stuff about you know people going through like a puberty again. Mm-hmm. And I like the I like the data running around as a disembodied head thing. That's pretty cool. And I even like the Rogers and Hammerstein that were singing in the shuttlecraft. Okay. Uh, I am also going to add that Insurrection and Nemesis are similar, and they are based on what movie? They're based on the other, mo- the most popular Star Trek movie of all, and that is The Wrath of Khan. Okay. So they are remakes of The Wrath of Khan. It is my understanding that there's also, that there has been for a while another series in the works that centers around that time frame. Uh-huh. For some reason, the name Harv Bennett comes up in my head uh, when I say that, but I believe it's another name uh, of a guy who is closely uh, Nick Meyer. That's who it is. Nick Meyer. Nicholas Meyer is the guy, I think, who is the go-to guy to look for stuff to stuff related to Star Trek uh, Two to come out again. <laughs> um, okay. The Genesis device is too good of a device for us not to talk about ever again. Okay. And like, so not have somebody trying to recreate it. Yeah, I think they want to do something in that time era, in the in that era, which is huh. is cool. I like that era. Okay. So that that kind of changes. We'll have to limit uh, some of the uh, some of the uh, the extra like costume changes and stuff. Like we're limited to like we the uniforms that exist in the movie are the should be the uniforms that they use during a series if they do a series during that time. Not important, but I guess important in some way. Okay. But it is an interesting time frame to be in, especially with the Genesis device going on and and strange technologies happening. Like we were just, as far as like real world technology, like we were just getting computer graphics going. So mm-hmm. they had a very limited use of computer graphics. I gotta tell you, I have recently watched um, some older Star Trek that has models and also like some Discovery era Star Trek that has no models whatsoever, uh-huh. just CGI. And I gotta say that I kind of like the models better. Like there's just more realism. Like they just look real, you know. Like they look, they look real. They don't look entirely fictional okay. the way that Discovery kind of does to me. And I don't know what it is about them, and I don't know why I like it more. But the models are just like the models. The models are just. Well, ironically, I recently watched a YouTube video that pointed out um, a lot of good uh, reasons why people like actual models. And there's another new popular show out now that uh, is using actual live action models. And the guy is gushing about them doing that and how you can see this and that and other things in the details of the models, especially on, I don't know how big it, this guy's TV must be, but he must be watching it on 4K. I, I should show you the video because it might make sense as to why you like uh, seeing actual models on screen rather than uh, digital models. Perhaps so. I, it would be great if you could link me to that at some point. I think it would be awesome because uh, I would like a psychological, a psychological examination of my of my reasoning for liking things that are real as opposed to liking things that are fake. <laughs> but they're all fake. It's all fiction. No, it's not. Stop! Stop saying these things. I don't 
I th- I think that we could achieve in the time frame the future that they talk about, but obviously certain things aren't gonna hopefully aren't gonna happen, uh, or might just like uh, Terminator just happen later. <laughs> but are you, are you hoping that Skynet takes over the world and like kills not all the Skynet, humans? but um, eugenics wars, you you know, and World War Three. No, I was vaguely making a reference to uh, uh, Terminator 3 and the fact that, oh, I thought, you know, the world was supposed to end in 1999 or whatever it was. And and here we are in 2002 or whenever Terminator 3 came out. And the, the Terminator just explains to John Connor that, uh, that the war with the humans still happened. It just happened later than we... Than it originally did. We just delayed the happening by the events of Terminator Two. It's like that is such a cop out, isn't it? Though, <laughs> isn't it though? It's like uh, it's so just, kind oh, of making. Uh, that was an Aspie's attempt at making a joke. <laughs> it's gonna happen, but later, kind of, sort of. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So we could still have the eugenics wars, and you know, I mean, last year we almost made it to World War Three, but gratefully we didn't. The, with a super villain and the uh, never mind yeah I'm uh, just waiting for you know waiting for things to happen to move us closer <laughs> to that timeline maybe we'll get there we'll get there someday uh, we are we are a little bit off track but it's okay it's okay <laughs> we are way off track it's okay we went we went all over the all over the timeline and uh, an hour back <laughs> so why do you think control, much like the wormhole aliens, decide to appear to Leland um, as people that he already knows? Do you think it's because of their budget? Do you think they can't afford holograms of whoever they want control? Say that again? Doesn't it seem funny that control chooses to speak to Leland in the same way that the wormhole prophets speak to Cisco? By emulating someone that he knows. Well, I think control can only emulate other people. I don't think control has an, an image for itself. Sure. Why does it have to be people that he knows, though? Maybe in, in control, maybe in the database of control, maybe it doesn't have the any, anybody else to use. Or maybe it was just part of a torture slash interrogation tactic could be it seems rather it seems rather i guess yeah i guess as part of a tactic a, a mental tactic to, to say hey you know it's actually these people that are attacking you and it could have been these people all this time that have been trying to do these things to you sure could be you don't know because you got fooled by the the vulcan lady earlier and she looked real to you and you thought she was real until you discovered that she wasn't um and they're also kind of trying to make the point that uh i could present you all of these and you would know that they were fake because they don't have that nuance that human nuance that they were just talking about too uh whereas the vulcan was easier because they're cold-blooded and logical and you know within you know that's how some humans star trek humans talk about them not that that's how I really believe, um, you know, because I know, I know 
the difference that Vulcans do have emotions. They just choose not to show them. But anyway, I think that maybe he sh it's trying to show that, uh, you know, these appearances of Pike and Michael and, and uh, Saru are less believable because they don't have that nuance. I don't know. Or maybe all three of those suggestions. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I'm gonna stick back with the idea of it being a, um, a uh, sort of a torture tactic. I'm trying to get him to give up, give up who he is. Uh huh. I mean, I think I like that as an, as an idea for, as, as a reason for that. So I'm gonna stick that in my head cannon. In my <laughs> head space. Okay. You're gonna. Uh, let's see. We are. But, you know, I got really, uh, I got, I don't know, I don't know if you guys, if you guys noticed that we, uh, we got a little off track just now. Occasionally yes. we do that on this show. I don't know if you have heard a show previously. If this is your first episode of our show, you should definitely, definitely go back and listen to our first few episodes so that you can understand why we're so off track. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you definitely want to go to our website and download your, uh, 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 what are we going to call it? Tan tangent bingo card now. Yeah, yeah. You'll want to get your bingo card out for sure. Make sure you pick wisely on your bingo card because uh, because uh, there's there's exactly a no prize if you win. So make sure <laughs> there, there's the prize of bragging rights. You can totally brag to everybody who doesn't care <laughs> that you you absolutely we'll, want. We'll 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 make we'll make that into a T-shirt on a merch store if we ever get a merch store. Just yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I won. I won bingo. I won bingo on whatever the show. Title. Yeah, this yes. show. Yeah. Uh, Coffee I, I forward. Actually, I've gone so far. I've gone so far uh, ahead that I don't even know. I've gone so far off track that like I have multiple tabs open and none of them are <laughs> for the episode that we are supposed to be watching. Um, thankfully, I do have some tabs open from uh, from a previous episode still somehow on this, which is, of course, another day. We certainly are recording this episode on the same day as we recorded uh, The Red Angel. I mean... Yes. If you want to believe that. Then <laughs> Even though they were released months and months apart. Yeah, they were not. <laughs> <laughs> Decades apart? Uh, no, not even. Come on now. Uh, so, uh, so there are some interesting things that happen uh, right after we awake in sickbay. Uh, we find out that Burnham, yes, Burnham was dead. Burnham has decided that, like, oh, my God, I had a dream. This is my mom. And they're like, no, 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 that's not a dream. That was your mom. And uh, she wants to go see her. She wants to go see her, of course. And that's the time we decided to pull away. And he gives her this whole scene about uh, about um, the wormhole aliens talking to uh, talking to um, <laughs> Leland Imagine and explaining, Cisco. yeah, explaining that they can't, because um, they think he's Cisco. So they... So they get, so they come back and they inhabit like all these different bodies and they're, and they're like towards the end of the scene they're like wait 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 are you you're you're Ben Cisco right and he's like no 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 and they're like oh sorry 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 and then they stick a bunch of needles into his skull and inject it with uh, nanotechnology 
<laughs> to make him think that it's actually control that he's talking about. Right, right. They're like, well, we don't mess up the timeline, whatever that means, because we don't know anything about time, even though we clearly do know about time because we, you know, things happen in succession. They're like, at this time, this will happen. At this time, this will happen. And we've been telling the Bajorans all this time, you know, things that will happen. And we've been guiding their whole, their whole rise to domination by the Cardassian species. You know, if I were part of an alien species that was like heavily following religion and our religion turned out to have not not like warned us about an invasion <laughs> and like kept us from being invaded and like overtaken for like 60 years i think i might rethink my religion well i mean i'm trying to figure out if um jesus is trying to deal with uh relativity and uh he, the reason he's not returning yet is because of uh you know traveling slow close to the speed of light but not at the speed of light Please, please explain that. I'm very curious. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Because um, you can't. If he travels at the speed of light, then but if he travels about, I don't. You know what? Relativity really gets me too. So I understand why it would bother Jesus. <laughs> I can understand why he would have difficulty with it. I mean, he's not God after all. Uh, There is a um, there's a tug of war with the universe that uh, is happening, and I'm gonna put a pin in this I, this concept. I guess through how long before the universe wins this tug of war, and Saru <laughs> says that it's about an hour or two that uh, that we can keep Gabriel Burnham here without her just popping back to her own timeline. Oh, okay. So here's the thing: she's not IMHO popping back just to her own timeline. She's also popping back to another universe because in one universe, she saw Burnham die, right? And in another universe that she created when she goes back in time, Burnham, Michael Burnham lives. Mm -hmm. So, so which is the correct quote, correct universe. Sure. But it's the universe that she is in right now. So it's stand a reason that not only does she try, is her body trying to get back to the right time, it's also trying to get back to the right universe because in the universe that she originates, Michael Burnham died. Mm-hmm. She created a new universe by saving Michael Burnham, by, by saving Michael Burnham and she didn't really achieve her goal because Michael uh -huh. Burnham still died. So the goal that she intended to do was to save her daughter, but what she did is she created a whole new universe. So, uh -huh. is it possible that the tug of war that she's playing is not only with the universe, but not only with the time, but also with the universe? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll put a pin in that, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll come yeah. back to that in a, few, a few episodes from now. So uh, here's a mind blow for you, mind fuck for you. Yeah, let's do it. Where is Crim and Daniels in all of this? And the. Uh, uh, the temporal cold war and all of this. So it's my it, belief that uh, Daniels is in a place that they have successfully uh, collapsed the barrier between different universes into one universe. <laughs> because is that even end, possible? I mean, I somehow it has to be done because uh, how is he able to... I don't think you can stand at the end... Let's, let's say you're standing at the end of time and there have been a lot of time travels along the way and they've changed things. Like 
you can't see the changes that they've made. Well, you, you can't see the pre-changes, right? You can only see the changes they've made. Okay. But you wouldn't even know that they're changes because it would have been the way that it always was for you. Well, I mean, it, in the Temporal Cold War, they do talk about a species that can see all points of time and all possibilities of time. Yeah, well, which and one is the right one? There, who says who's right and who's wrong? Sure enough. Um, I mean, the, the whole theory of multiple timelines is that every time a decision is made, it branches in two different directions. That means 250 million years ago, or 65 million years ago, when a T-Rex decided to take a bite out of the neck of a Triceratops versus the tail of a Triceratops, different then universe. different universe. Yeah. You know, the 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 instant that that uh, the fish crawling out of the ocean four billion years ago or whenever, and turned left to go and explore the world versus turning right to explore the world or going straight or saying, oh damn, I don't want any part of this and going back. Who's this? Yeah, that's four different universes right there. Plus, there's an infinite number of possibilities of different decisions that. that 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 fish crawling out of the ocean could have made or that you know he could have been followed and chomped down by something that you know was stalking him just as he was escaping onto land <laughs> and been eaten yeah so my 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 um my headcanon around prehistory about ancient history where like where like you know things are coming on land is actually not so much that they're coming on land it's that the water's drying up so as the water slowly dries up, the species have to learn how to live on the land. You know, because there's basically like a whole bunch of puddles around. Well, but the water, we've, we have the same amount of water on Earth today that we ha we've had ever since there was water on Earth to have life in. The water doesn't go anywhere. You say that, but it must have gone somewhere because at one point, all of the land on Earth was covered except for the top of one mountain, correct? We're talking uh, about Noah here. Sure. I mean, it's the same reason that everybody on the planet is descended from Noah, right? Like, we're all Noah's descendants. Noah and whoever he brought with him. <laughs> right, which means we're all, I guess, Jewish, really, from the start, like, technically. Um, <laughs> well, except Noah didn't start the Jewish religion, so... And Noah, well, no. Noah wasn't Jewish yet. Well, I mean, to to a certain extent, he start. Wait, say it again. Jew Noah wasn't Jewish. Wait, he wasn't. There weren't any Jews until um, Abraham. Wait, but so he did. He believe in Christ. Hypothetically, yes. <laughs> did he believe that Christ had come and 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 um, washed every one of their sins? Is the question. Because he, he did, he and he believed was a that, Well, he believed that they would. Well, that that goes back to. Well, um, it's, does, my it, is, it's my understanding that the Jewish people also believe that that that's going to happen. That it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, th that points to the question also: Is Adam in heaven? Because Adam, you know, some people say that. Everybody throughout time always know, has known that a Christ would be coming and a Christ would die for our sins, and you just have to believe 
at any point in time that um you know within the milky way galaxy at least that uh uh at some point the 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 sun portion of the holy trinity was going to come to earth to wipe away everybody's sins why are we getting into religion on a star trek show yeah so uh i'm just saying that uh, <laughs> you had religion you had world religion marked on your bingo card and make <laughs> that off today i think it's uh, i think it's a good time for a break though so uh i i agree yeah let's go to our non-sponsors And we are continuing our discussion. I actually have uh, Perpetual Infinity. Yes. I'm a mm-hmm. little stymied about the title of the episode. What does it mean? Like, what in the world? I don't know what it's a reference to. Maybe we can figure that out as we continue mm-hmm. our discussion. Okay. Um, because Infinity is perpetual, so it seems a little... Re- it's like how like- you hate um, Irregardless. Yeah, irregardless. Um, not really irre- let's see, regardless. Irregardless. And then not regardless means with regard. So that would just be regarding, right? <laughs> I don't really know. So how does so okay, so here's the thing that I think happened. So are we are we to assume that the way that Gabrielle got Burnham got to the nine hundred and fifty years in the future, are we saying that that's because the Klingons fired at her while she was trying to do the two days back thing. Is that what happened? Because she's trying to she's trying to jump to two days prior. Oh, the mom. Um, yeah. You know, maybe there's just a flaw with the suit. Okay. Um, or predestination paradox. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go with predestination paradox. Um, uh, I'm a little. I so I maybe somebody from the future that knew she had to be there programmed her suit or overrid her suit. Oh, that's interesting. Ooh. So it's it's a potential that because Tiny I mean they are army. affiliated with Section Thirty One, so I guess it's potential that someone from Section Thirty One snuck in while they weren't you know knowing that she was gonna that this whole thing was gonna happen, snuck in like the night before or a few minutes before. And why does it have to be Section Thirty One? Why couldn't it be somebody totally uh, unrelated to Section Thirty One? Maybe it's uh, somebody from the timeline that Lieutenant Daniel or Crewman Daniel wants to happen. So, like someone who's a part of the temporal what do they call that? The Temporal Investigations Division, or well, the Temporal Cold War is. I think the sure, sure, but what is their what's the what's the name of their faction? I don't. I don't know if Crewman Daniel's faction has a name. It's the Prime Timeline, I guess. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, we don't have to keep mentioning Enterprise if we don't want to. <laughs> I want to. I enjoyed Enterprise. I um, I'm just a little so uh, I'm a little upset that um, the last episode did not feature um, Sam Beckett jumping out of uh, uh, <laughs> Captain Archer's body. <laughs> Or at least like him jumping in. At I, least the man's just saying, "Oh boy!" Like that. Like, come on, we could have gotten a little bit of something. 
Well, they they did have the episode where uh, Sam was the, the actor that played Sam. Al? Or, yeah, Sa- Sam. Al. Dean Stockwell was, was on uh, Enterprise? A foil to Yes, he was. He was uh, a leader of one of the aliens that they met. Oh, I... I don't remember the title of the episode, but he was in the... Ep- there was an episode where Archer and Tucker wake up on a planet. They have no idea where they're at. They think they're in a prison somewhere, and uh, they're surrounded by Sulaban. Ah, I see. And it turns out that they're... It's supposed to be an allegory for World War II and the Japanese internment camps. Oh, I see. Um, And the leader of the facility that he's at, the internment camp that he's at, is the actor that played Sam. So, oh, got you. Okay. Um, Not to make a sharp, sharp right turn back on this. Track. But uh, there's a little montage here where we're listening to Gabriel Burnham's, um, uh, I guess, her log entries. I don't know why she's doing log entries. If the idea is to get back to her own time and make those log entries, like, not really have any substance because she achieved the goal. So, like, then those times and places would really, well, like, never she, happened, I think? She is a scientist. And scientists, like like Adam Savage said, the difference between messing around and science is writing it down. Uh, and she's not physically writing it down, but she's keeping a record of the things that she's playing with. She's playing with the time travel suit. She's playing with messing around with, you know, traveling through time this is the first time the federation's really started to mess with being flexible the fluidity of time and or well one of the first times so she she, she's still doing experiments so she still wants to keep a record of the things she's tried the things she hasn't tried her hypotheses what happens to those hypotheses and the scientific method. I wonder whether um, in time travel it might not necessarily be a good idea to write everything down because you don't want to accidentally give away the almanac. For all we know, they could be severely uh, encrypted logs. Oh, this is true. But um, I think when she's most active in writing it down, she already figured out that she's in the future. So by then, they already know what they're doing so <laughs> in the future their records already show that she's disappeared in history and they already have the recipe for time travel so it doesn't matter if they get her version of the recipe we're in this whole montage of the recordings right gabriel Burnham's recordings there's a thing about how she brought the sphere data to discovery Right, and this has been rankling me for a while. Gabrielle Burnham says that she could not prevent control from getting the sphere data, and she even tried destroying the sphere. Uh, so the only thing that okay. she could do was undo its gravitational binding and set it in Discovery's path so they could keep the data safe. So the sphere data okay. came to the Starship Discovery because Gabriel Burnham led it to them. But okay. at the same time, the sphere data wouldn't have encountered control if she hadn't brought discovery to them, to it. So it's just a little. It seems like a little double, double speaky for her to have said that. Um, like she was she, the only reason that. Okay. That, so 
So I wonder, I think what I'm wondering is what happened the first time? Like, did she put discovery in the, in the, in the spirit data's path, like bef long before, like how, I don't know. I still don't understand what happened the first time. Cause if she's explained what happened the first time and why she had to put discovery there, it would make sense. But at present, it just sounds like she created, she caused the whole mess with control and somehow is expressing that as if it's a good thing that she did. Or maybe it just would have happened la like uh, later, you know, might have taken more time. Maybe. So we're right at the point where as uh, while while Burnham and Spock are coming onto the bridge, Bryce sticks uh, Culver up on the screen. Uh, and Culver says that, you know, Burnham's back, you know, awake. The tachyon levels are, are normalizing and she's she's ready to talk. Okay. So Burnham's like, yeah, we'll be right. We'll be right down there. This ship that uh, Leland has, that's a multi-vector sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That, you know, similarly to the uh, Prometheus class. Uh -huh. It seems very advanced for mm -hmm. its time frame. And so that is another thing that gives me a clue that maybe the Department of Temporal Investigations comes from Section 31. His uniform is kind of like the uniforms of, of those two officers. Or black leather, like Section 31. <laughs> this version of Section 31. Now, I'm not so sure that the Section 31 that we encountered in DS9 and later on in Enterprise, and I don't remember if there was a Section 31 episode in Voyager, but I don't, I don't think the sec. It's I don't think it's quite. I don't think Sloan is the same Section 31 as what we're seeing here. This seems more of a public, everybody knows the FBI and the CIA exists. And by the time it gets into Sloan's time period, they're a secret organization that nobody knows about. Things have changed significantly. And then they always had the question of also of whether or not Sloan even it, it, Section 31 even existed in Sloan's time, whether or not Sloan was even a part of Section 31 or whether Sloan was just getting Bashir to do these things out of the sheer will of him's convincibility. Uh, if that's even a word. It is now. I called sure. the dictionary people and put it in there. <laughs> I've, I've just gotten, gotten uh, Culver oh, on the view screen. Dr. Culver on the view screen to Living dead guy. Oh, that's a funny thing. Okay. Spock just walked into the room. Yes. Sure. Living Dead Guy Productions is, uh, I think, the name of what the Roddenberry uh, company at this point, and uh, the Living Dead okay. Guy on the show is uh, is is Culver. I'm not really sure that I understand that I can make up or create a headcanon around the reasons why Gabriel Burnham would not want to have seen uh, Michael Burnham. There's a, okay, so let's not forget to mention that these are these are angel names. So both Michael and Gabriel are are angels. Oh, okay, biblical angel. I get you what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and they're also both red angels. And mm -hmm. because her name is Michael, it makes me wonder. Like, so did they know this from the start? Like before season one of Discovery, did they know that she was going to be the red angel? And does that explain why her name is Michael in mm -hmm. the first place? Surely you can't have okay. Gabrielle and Michael 
and not realize it, it like it accidentally make a connection where they're you know both red angels seems like an odd coincidence well maybe it didn't go that far but it could have been that once they realized there that there could be a coincidence maybe they manufactured the coincidence uh maybe they named her mom gabriel intentionally because they wanted to develop a coincidence am i maybe i'm not making sure yeah no sense. i get what you're saying i gotta tell you i really enjoy seeing sonia stone in star trek i am not i have not watched the wire but i hear that she is phenomenal in that and uh everyone i haven't watched that either everyone to whom i mentioned sonia stone is on star trek seems really interested i mean they don't actually go and end up watching it but they're um interested to know that she is in fact on on Star Trek Discovery and I do wonder like how much okay. how much uh, presence she's going to have moving forward we can't just have like this one off of okay. her and then never see her again that seems silly <laughs> the uh okay the, so the red the red bursts um Gabriel mentions that she knows she doesn't know anything about them and that to me is a little disturbing because she's from a point in her timeline where those events haven't happened yet. I'm just going to say, like, maybe I don't understand how time travel really works. <laughs> well, she's about to explain it at 1947. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I actually, I'm all, I'm all the way at 2030, 39 now. So I think I just missed the explanation. But missed is a strong term. Like, yeah. it should have been a, a little bit more expository, I think. Like, maybe a, maybe a see and do would have made more sense. But I guess, like, towards the end of the season, I do believe that we see something like that. Um, you would think that uh, Ash Tyler, having been so, like, cast out by this crew, would be doing everything that he can to make sure that he's mm -hmm. not, like, undermining their friendship now. Yeah. But instead, he's got this little thing in his hand that he's using to, I don't know if he's like using it. Yeah. At the first time we see it, I don't know if it's like what it is, what what this little thing in his hand he's doing, but it's clearly nefarious. It's clearly underhanded at the very least. So. Underhanded, because it's in his hand, ha. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And it's under, it's like under one hand <laughs> or under the hand that it's in, like it's definitely covered up. Yeah. So like, is he trying to copy all the sphere data into this tiny little thing? Like, what is the thing that he's doing? That's so strange. Well, I think that that's what they want you to wonder. I, I guess one thing that we need to question is how often do they give us uh, red herrings in this show? I think they do it a lot, but I okay. also think that they don't do it at all. Because as a longtime Star Trek fan, I'm used to trying to jump ahead. So why is that? Just to figure out the mystery, you know, things like 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 schisms. Right. Let's say, like schisms, really like that show, that episode. Really, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about um, yeah, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, this is season six, episode five, wherein okay, random people in the crew are like disappeared at night and then returned uh, with They're weird abducted by aliens. Yeah, it starts with just like Commander Riker not being able to fall asleep, and it developed into, oh my God, someone kidnapped Worf and broke his arm and put it back together, and we never <laughs> knew about it. Yeah. So this is an episode that that like 
it very slowly built the the question about what was happening in the episode. While I was trying to figure it out along the way, there was no way that I could have guessed it. And I don't think that there were really any red herrings. The only red herrings would have been stuff from my own like previous knowledge. Like, oh, maybe the Romulans are doing this or yeah. you know, maybe some other you know species. Yeah. So like just trying to jump ahead and, and, and figure things out. Like that was one episode where I strongly tried to do that the whole time. Can I tell you, there is, mm-hmm. there, uh, Kristen Beyer, I believe is who it is. No, you may not. Be Kristen. Okay. Um, the, there is a, there's a novel. <laughs> I'm kidding. A couple novels. There's a couple novels that um, feature the Solanogen-based aliens from Schisms. And it's okay. a little bit all over the place, but it's kind of interesting the way that they, the way that they live and you get to like get some more exposition exposition about their purpose in doing all those abductions aboard the enterprise okay. uh, mm-hmm. so i highly recommend that book whatever it is i don't know i don't know which book it is <laughs> uh these solenogen based aliens can only live in subspace because solenogen's only stable in subspace mm-hmm. uh, okay and they apparently originated from a tertiary subspace manifold i don't know what that means but it's odd that they would be like i don't think the show just did either i think they just sounded cool yeah <coughs> excuse me yeah tertiary subspace manifold i don't know what a what a, what a manifold well tertiary it would be three is. sure third yeah so, sub, um, so regular subspace and then like below subspace maybe maybe Something that folds into subspace, manifolds into subspace. Yeah, like some sort of release valve. Well, I gotta tell you, <laughs> I gotta tell you, were I listening to this podcast, I would be asleep today. Like, Why okay, let's move on to the next one. I don't know. I don't know. I just think uh, I, it might be this episode that's doing this, that's giving me the sense of like, sort of like well, a little unnecessary. Well, there's a lot of exposition in this episode. Is that what it is? Like they're doing a lot of a lot of telling. I think so. But uh, deleting the Spear Archive is like burning the Library of Alexandria or the Bibliotheca Corviniana. Mm-hmm. You can't just have Earth references, so we don't know what we understand as humans. The burning of the um, Library of Alexandria—that's an actual historical thing that happened. And I often wonder, oh, you know. Well, could we, if we ever developed time travel, could we go back and get those secret knowledges that were lost at that in that fire? You know. Um, so let me just let me just the add that one, the yeah. So let me just add that the Bibliotheca Corveniana is an actual thing. Yes. So this was a um, yeah yeah this this was a Renaissance library located in Budapest, Hungary, and it was destroyed in 1526. I knew that. Yeah, I, I I actually didn't know that, but they uh, they said it so. I don't. Know, it's just the confidence with which he said. Well, I think when I read it, it was uh, it appeared to be. I don't know. It's something something that comes out of Romance language, right? Because it's the same thing as like uh, what yeah. you would call a library in Spanish. So that that indicated to me that it was something something uh, from Earth. Uh, I gotta tell you, uh, yeah. Gabriel Burnham, Gabrielle, whichever her name is, seems very like 
annoyed with her daughter like the whole time like she's she's spent all this time going back trying to save her daughter again and again and again and now she just seems like she's really yeah. annoyed to be in her presence so that is one thing i don't understand yeah yeah she uh doesn't seem like somebody who's um concerned for her mother's life maybe she's annoyed at the fact that she got caught and annoyed at the fact that her her daughter even agreed to be used as the bait to catch her i think that makes sense i mean she should be happy that she's at least closer to her timeline i suppose but she only missed a few years out of her timeline if she could if she could stay if she decided to stay yeah but unfortunately because of writing and reasons that you know so, sort of don't make sense and sort of do you know because the writers decided that she couldn't stay and then she wasn't going to stay oh you know, let me tell you something one thing one thing one thing one thing one thing that uh yes, that sir. caught that really caught my attention for this episode and I will never forget is the hamlet hell yeah line hamlet so, hell yeah line yeah 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 so so um so Burdum is about to head down and talk to her mom and yeah. Spock says, while she's on the transporter badge, she says, he says, time is out of joint. Oh, cursed spite that I was born to set it right. And she goes, Hamlet, hell yeah. Because usually they're like super heavy handed in Star Trek about like referencing Shakespeare. But this okay. time it was just like, he says the line and she's like, oh yeah, that's my shit. <laughs> this TV is down. So I instead of like, saying Hamlet, act one, scene one, she yeah, says, man. That's definitely from Hamlet. I don't know where, but she doesn't admit that. But she's just like, yeah, Hamlet's my shit, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. Okay. Which I I, I rather enjoyed for a... Because uh, we do a lot of Shakespeare references, right? Um, and we do a lot of... I, I, I just wish learned... I knew my Shakespeare references. <laughs> so like, I knew I that read. like when, when he said it, I knew it was Shakespeare. I didn't know what piece of Shakespeare from which it came, but oh, I did know okay. it was Shakespeare. Um, I would have assumed Hamlet because, well, actually, um, what was the one I was thinking of? Uh, I would have thought maybe Macbeth because that's okay. the thing about, you know, Cursed Spite, that kind of thing, you know, because it made me think of um, Out Out Damn Spot. Okay. But um, uh, clearly it wasn't that. Mm -hmm. I do like the conversation between Gabriel and Michael about how Gabriel's like, listen, listen, homie, I've been here the whole time. I've been watching you and all these things, all these things happen in your life. I've been right here. And, and like, I've, I've, I've watched you die and I got to stop watching you die. And I just, I'm going to, I could watch you die a hundred times more. I just keep trying to save you. Just keep, keep trying to save you. And then she realizes like, she just gonna have to keep doing that. Like that's all she could do. Like her whole point was to go back those two days and save her daughter and her, and her husband, well, save all of their lives. <laughs> There's another quote later on, which comes from uh, the philosopher Lao Tse who I had never heard of until until this uh, until this episode. I don't even know if I'm saying the name right. Is that the how they right. pronounce it in the show? I don't oh, okay. recall. I don't know if they even said the name, but this is in uh, the uh, so this is this is from the 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 Tao Te Ching. Um, he's the he's the author of the Tao Te Ching. I don't know if you've heard of the Tao the the, the Tao of Pu and the Te of the Te of Piglet. Have you heard of these two things? Uh, I've heard of the uh, Tao of Pooh. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a spinoff. A spinoff is a, there's a second. The second is called the Tay of Piglet, which is really really good. Um, 
you know, philosophy kind of things. But the original book is the Book of the Way, which is the Tao Te, Tao, Tao Te Ching, and that's uh, written by Lao Tzu, who is the person who they reference when they say the water water is the softest thing, yet it can penetrate mountains. Um, okay. I don't think I've uh, heard that before. Yeah, it's, uh, they, they describe it as like a, a, tr a truth that indicates that uh, what appears unchangeable is not. So like a mountain, the sphere data, time, like time itself could provide the answer of um, uh, of how to move forward, merging the merging the sphere okay. back into and into the river of time, so that it wouldn't be able to harm the present. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm hoping that next season, assuming that that's where we're going, I'm, I'm assuming that <laughs> where, wherever they decide to take yeah, wherever they decide to take this data to, which I think is the future, that we get to then examine that data. Because yeah. it's a big old slice of galaxy pie, well, right? So I mean, we don't want to lose it. I already know they get to the future because I've seen the rest of the series season. But and we're back. Uh, it's our last commercial break of Welcome the show. Back. Yeah, thanks. I uh, I missed you so much. Yeah, I went time traveling through the um, <laughs> through the uh, through the universe, and I went around and I'm set a lot of signals for people to follow so they could figure out the mystery <laughs> of where I went. And look, you guys made it back here. I'm so proud of you. Yay! Here we are. Where? Uh, you know, now. When? Uh, Earth. <laughs> the where is now, the when is Earth. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, nearing the end of our of our review, I, I gotta I'm gonna make a couple points here. Uh, one is that, as I mentioned earlier, I was afraid that we were doing like an uh, the inception of the Borg type thing here in Discovery, and I'm glad that we didn't. Uh, and I'm glad that the line "struggle is pointless" did not lead to that. But definitely, struggle is pointless. They they definitely had to try really hard to find some way to not say resistance is futile. <laughs> yep. Or futile, you know, if we're, if we're in Voyager era. Uh, another one that I enjoyed was the part about, okay, so the I Like Science by Spock, that's that's definitely one that's way up there, um, yeah. along with the along with the potty mouth stuff Tilly says along the way. <laughs> oh, Till, yeah. Yeah, Tilly's got a potty mouth about science, <laughs> about science only, apparently. Uh, so, uh, my, Michael Burnham's whole point is that she took upon herself the fate of her parents. She felt like that was her fault, right? Um, and ever since then, she's been taking on the responsibility of everyone around her, like to the point where she even says to her mother, whether you like it or not, I'm gonna save you from this. And mostly I'm gonna save you from yourself. Um, which harkens back to the first episode in which she says, I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to save all of you. And that's been like her point of the entire show. Like I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to save all of you has been her whole thing. That's a little. It's a little over overblown for her. Like, like some sort of superhero complex. Yeah, like she thinks she sees Mary Sue. Oddly enough, <laughs> she is sort of a Mary Sue character in Star Trek Discovery. She's like a legal Mary Sue that is not written by. Well, it is, it is written by fans because these days, <laughs> as you know, like Star Trek Discovery and Picard and all that, are written largely by fans of the '90s Star Trek. Mm -hmm. So I guess we took this Mary Sue character. <laughs> And actually fleshed it out. Like it's not <laughs> not not such a bad idea. Like I, we've we've all been doing it as role players and writers. We've all been doing Mary Sue characters for <laughs> ages. Yeah. So it's or cool that they finally. To. 
Yeah, well, you know, a lot of us are trying to. I, I remember I had this one um, on one of my first ships. Now, this is an RPG ship. Um, yes. You know, where we, you know, write the stories of the crew. Uh, it's sort of a collaborative yes. online fiction. Um, and uh, one of my characters, one of my players came on and he wanted to play this Klingon named Togaha. And Togaha had, um, he had like some Borg implants. He had like a personal force field. You know, he had like a, a subspace link inside his head, like just all kinds of like extra stuff. Like, cause everybody's Mary Sue back in the day was somebody who was, uh, who was capable, who was, who was equipped to like save the universe, you know? Um, yeah. As opposed to having a save the universe complex, which is what Michael Burnham has. Like she thinks that she has, she's, she's supposed to save everybody from themselves and from, danger and from disaster and like it's all on her which is all her trying to atone for having caused the death of her parents so now knowing that now she's she wasn't the one responsible what is she going to do with that information is she going to you know continue to be the i'm going to save you all or is she going to realize oh you know like maybe this is not always my responsibility <laughs> yeah I, I don't, oh, I, I do, so there is a part where Gabrielle Burnham tells Captain Pike that, you know, she knows about his future and he's not going to like it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, there's, uh, that's, that's I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that that may be some, some foreshadowing for our next episode. Well, and a little bit of foreshadowing for what the fan, it's a little bit of fan service. Sure, 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 yeah, but I mean, Discovery is nothing if not fan service-y. Like the one thing they do really well is do fan service, and the fan okay. service is not like overblown because it's just like that's the universe that they live in. They live in the universe that the fans know. So anytime you reference anything from other series, you could call it fan service, or you could just call it continuity. Yeah, yeah. Because that's that's really what it is. Um, I think that the Star Trek Discovery excels at continuity, and I think they do a good job at like placing themselves in the universe. Well, and, and I was thinking of that just um, when when they were trying to download or stop the download of the sphere data and um, the sphere starts data starts protecting itself. And there's that little tone like, eh, nope. And it's like, that's the tone that means that this is not going to work. And Star Trek fans who've been watching all this time know what that tone means. Yeah. And we're like, uh-oh, what's going on there? Because that's the, uh, um, you know, 401 file not found, or 404 yeah. file not found. But Everyone knows the famous donk. Bonk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, this is not going to happen. Or the boop, boop, boop. Yep. So I, maybe I should bring that up now or do we have enough time we we have enough time okay so speaking of sound effects off of computers and stuff where what do you think that these people in the 24th century and the 23rd and 22nd century must be thinking because everything they do everything they touch makes a sound and we're yeah so <laughs> thinking about it in actuality it seems really 
TF annoying, like really annoying. Like if everything, like every time I typed a key on the computer, it beeped, or every time I like moved the mouse, it beeped, or every time I like clicked it beeped, that would be really, really, really annoying. Like I would want to throw my computer, like I would I would put that shit in silent mode. It would definitely be in silent mode. Like my phone, like I turn my phone on silent all the time. Can you imagine like, okay, so you're on, you're on the bridge and you're talking to, you know, whoever, and then like beep, someone's phone rings. Like, oh, you know, like, how do people not have phones? Like, how are they not, like, talking all the time? You know, like, but that sound thing, like, can you imagine everything you do on your computer, like, beeps? That would, that's the most obnoxious thing. You know, Uh, you flip a switch to turn off a light or turn on a light and it beeps. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Super obnoxious. I don't, I don't. So I, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look and see if they keep it the same way because I haven't really noticed. Like I mean, for me as a 20, 20 plus year Star Trek fan, like I, if I'm watching Star Trek, I don't think I notice anymore the little sounds in the background. Well, I, let me let me let me rephrase that. So like, I notice the sounds in the background when it's something new. Like when Discovery first started, I listened uh-huh. for the sounds and I heard the sounds that were familiar to the bridge <laughs> of the original Enterprise. But like yeah. now, it's faded into the background. Now, like now, I've just been given the assurance by these sounds that we are in the same universe and we're using the same computer systems, even though it has a different voice. Big ups, big ups to Majel, Majel Barrett, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I really miss her voice uh, yes. as the computer. However, uh, the one thing I never got, how did the Cardassians get Majel Barrett's voice? How did the Bajorans get Majel Barrett's voice? Yeah, no, the Cardassian computers, if, we're, if I'm not mistaken, Cardassian computers had a male voice. And Sometime. the Bajoran computers, the Bajoran computers had a a different female voice. Sometimes, but uh, okay. So random alien of the week. There's the episode where uh, Belana Taurus is working on the alien ship, and she's trying to. It's like getting hot, and she's trying to fix things. And the alien ship is threatening to kill her, and she's all by herself. And the computer talks to her, and it's like Major Blair's voice. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. You know, and, I don't know. I I think back in the day we wouldn't have noticed. And and I think they it's like the the crew just she was contra Major Barrett was contractually obligated <laughs> to be the computer voice no matter which alien species it was in the Delta Quadrant in the Alpha Quadrant in the Beta Quadrant. Yeah, I think they may have used uh, Christine Chapel's voice. That's the same person. That's the joke. Okay. <laughs> because, of course, in Star Trek continuity, Majel Barrett couldn't possibly exist, right? I mean, if she does exist, she, well, she doesn't have... She? Well, she wouldn't have any connection to Star Trek because Star Trek wouldn't exist in the Star Trek universe. Why not? Because that would indicate that we've done some sort of time travel. <laughs> oh, but that would also explain why we haven't met the Vulcans by now. Like, there's the, there's there's a uh, time travel thing happening here where they're like rewriting rewriting uh, our histories as it's happening. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, because she died way before uh, Renee Arbajon Law, and she died before Nog. Um, Aaron Eisenberg. I, Aaron Eisenberg. Thank you. Yeah, I yeah. never learned the actor's name. Um, I just like saying, uh, like trying to pronounce Arbajon Law, so so I try to memorize his name, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, yeah, she 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 died a while ago. 
Yeah, it has been quite a minute. It's been a, it's been a over well, a decade now. The the crazy thing is, is for me, maybe maybe these actors are older, but um, the you, you have actors from shows that are newer than the original series dying, and William Shatner's still alive. Yeah, yeah, like, it really blows my mind how yeah he's still around. Or or who else from the original series? Nichelle Nicholas is still alive. Oh uh, yeah, so I've I'm uh, I'm patiently hoping that she lasts much longer. But uh, with our recent loss of Cecily Tyson, uh, I have my concerns about her. Uh, Cecily Tyson did die at like ninety nine or something though. So to to the fans that might be newer, explain who that is. Uh, Cecily Tyson is like a monarch of black acting. Um, she was she was born in like nineteen, in the nineteen twenties, and has just been like acting for ages. I'm I'm trying to pull up like what her when she started acting, but I know it's been a long. She was, she started acting uh, at around twenty, so she was like nineteen forty eight to two thousand twenty one. She was acting. Uh, I don't know what she did in twenty twenty one, but Wikipedia lists her as lists her uh, her active years as 1948 to 2021. So she's been around for a long time. She always pays, plays like, well, she has a tendency, I guess, to play the uh, the, the matriarch of a family. Um, and she's sort of like the matriarch of the larger black family. Uh, Is she the extent. lady from the band that just died uh, today? No, that was Mary Wilson that died today from the- uh, Oh, okay. From the Supremes, I want to say, I think she was Yeah, the Supremes. Supremes. Yeah, the, yeah. The, group with, uh, the group with Diana Ross. I guess so. Who has been gone for has been gone for quite a while as well. Yeah, Mary Mary Wilson is from the Supremes, and she was also in the Primettes, which I've never heard of until this moment. <laughs> so the the previous actress that you were talking about is not Cecily a character Tyson. actor from Star Trek. She is not. No, no, no. Cecily oh. Tyson is is sort of like the Moogie of all of us. <laughs> okay. Um. So uh, speaking. Of, Nichelle Nicholas, or however you want to pronounce her name. Nichols is her name. Nichols, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, more than one half of a dime. Yes. All right. Nichols. Uh, so she was in uh, Sounder in 1970. Oh, sorry, I went all the way back to Cecily Tyson. I'm trying to remember <laughs> like some things that she was in. So she was in the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. She was also a Diary of a Mad Black Woman. She was in that. She was also in The Help. And for like about five years, she was in How to Get Away with uh, How to Get Away with Murder. Oh. Oh, and here's something I didn't know: she married Miles Davis in 1981. Who was that again? Miles Davis is a jazz musician. Um, he was a he was a jazz trumpeter, and he was a band leader, and he was a composer, and he's like um, one of the most, I guess, influential figures um, in like jazz and 20th century music. Um, was he the one with the bent horn? I couldn't tell you. I'm not really sure. What do you mean a bent horn? He he had a trombone. There was there was a jazz mu musician who had a. Let's see. Was it a? Wasn't it? Was it a trombone? No, it was a. Um, trumpet. So okay, so you're talking about you're talking about Dizzy Gillespie. Okay. He had a trumpet that he sat on, and that became his. And it bent the bell of the the trumpet up, 
and that became his signature sound the the new sound that it made because of the new shape of the horn yeah and okay so that wasn't him yeah that would be that was that was dizzy gillespie who was really okay. who was really big as well i apologize i admit that i don't know a whole lot about jazz but i don't know a whole lot about any music so yeah it's not like there's fair. a Significance yeah, yeah. Yeah. to me not knowing anything about jazz. at all, at all. Um, um, I do want to point I, out. Good. I think that Nichelle Nichols is the one of the original cast members that I would probably like to meet the most. Um, I I am really inspired and encouraged by the story where um, that she tells about me getting a phone call from MLK when she wanted sure. to quit the show yeah. i'm inspired by the story of um whoopi goldberg getting being inspired by her you know mm-hmm. and she she's uh a uh a, a black woman on tv and she ain't no maid support the continued making of this show through patreon.com let's talk about treks is a production of anodyne relay supported by the star trek fan community of listeners like you we review the copyrighted works of paramount cbs's star trek team of whom no copyright infringement is intended you can reach us via email at email at let's talk about treks.com you can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312 our producer is david moody and our writers jack and earl are on twitter as at treks talkers and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now we record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. And he's still recording me. He's going to leave this in the episode. I know it's going to be a part of the outtakes as we um, outtake. And... I'm going to stop talking, but yes, I hear you. I did hear you. I can hear the talking in the background, but I can't hear you now. Maybe you're not talking. Are you recording me? You're still recording me. You're going to put this in the episode, aren't you? Do you want me to finish talking about Nichelle? Oh, well. I didn't see that until just now. Uh, well, we'll we'll touch on that when we, you know, next time. Because I've been rambling forever now. You're gonna have to edit out so much of this.